We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today has built one of the best digital marketing companies around. He's an influential entrepreneur, author, and speaker who's known for goal setting, networking, and brand building. We talked a lot about life things like grief, legacy, and mindset, and we also got into the specifics of more practical business and career advice when it comes to getting started on things like social media, building your own brands, and networking skills. Please welcome to interview 48, Mike Metzger. All right. Well, first off, as always, thank you so much for being here on the show today. I really appreciate it. Can't put into words how much I appreciate it because starting a show and building a movement, building a brand, as you know, takes a whole lot of people that exist behind the scenes that other people maybe don't necessarily know. But I give credit where credit is due and just want to say thank you so much for being here. My first question is always the same, and it's the idea of allowing people to do a self-introduction because We show up in so many different ways and Google or blog posts or other people's content tries to define us. So I like to let people sort of tell us who they are and what they do. Yeah, I love it. Well, first, thanks for having me. I I definitely appreciate it. And yeah, it's good to connect with you. So my name is Mike Metzger. I'm 33. I live in Richmond, Virginia. And most people know me as a digital marketer. So I own a marketing agency. We're one of the top branding agencies in Virginia. We kind of fluctuate between number one and number three in the state, just depending on time of year and season and things like that. The main thing we focus on is building websites, building brands, telling brands, messaging and story. And we also do a lot of content creation and advertising. So that's my company that I run. And as an individual, I'm an author, an entrepreneur, investor, and content creator in a way. You know, I don't always necessarily view myself that way, but I've kind of found joy in trying to share some of my lessons and journeys just along the way from building a company and uh, exploring the landscape of social media, marketing, digital media, uh, and just the web in general is how I've made a living throughout most of my 20s and, and now my 30s. Everything that I do is connected to the internet. And we connected through the internet and through content creation. So in that way, I'm appreciative that you did create and share content. I know there are so many different upsides, some downsides as well when it comes to content creation. But I feel like if I remember, I'd have to go back and look, but you were probably one of the first people that I ever reached out to to have on this show. And we're closing in on probably 70 some episodes and like getting up there to like the 50s of interviews. And it's finally happening, the interview, which is just going to be awesome. The one thing I'll add too with podcasting, I love that because if I were to quiz you and say, how many times do you think you'll be on this show? You know, you might say, one, maybe three or something ever long term. And it's like the later, the better in a way, because we have kind of more stories to tell, more things to talk about. Uh, But all that to say, we connected through social media. And so obviously it is powerful. If you weren't creating, then it wouldn't be the ability to even meet like that, right? So when it comes to socials, I guess, when people are hesitant to even get out there, why do you think that it is important? And why did you take the steps to create? It is a really good question. And I do sort of, from time to time, struggle with a love-hate relationship with social media. It it is amazing in the way that 
It can connect you with people. It can open up opportunities. You can find friendships and mentors and conversations that you would have never been able to have if it weren't for the digital landscape and for something like social media. Now, I think the way that I got into it wasn't even necessarily from a personal interest. When I was 24 or so, I used social media as a tool for networking to try to pursue a way of making a living. So I didn't do it because I liked it. It was ne- it was mostly just a resource that was at my disposal. And through learning about social media, I think I grew to become more fond of it. And when I was 23 or so, I didn't have the technology that I have today. And I mean, none of us did, but I mean, specifically in my case, I had like a boost mobile phone and I think the only app I could really download on it was like Facebook. I think that was the only thing, you know, and this was maybe 2013. So right when Instagram kind of really became popular, um, was around that time. I think within a year or two of that was when I got my first like real functional smartphone, which was an iPhone. And then that opened up a lot of opportunities and, you know, but prior to that, I just couldn't afford a phone like that or a, a phone bill like that to really explore and take as big of advantage of social media as was possible at that time. So I just worked with what I had and I borrowed my grandmother's laptop at that time. And that was sort of how I got onto social media a little bit. So it wasn't like it is today where we have a phone in our pocket and we're just connected to the entire world through the one device that's in our pocket. I kind of had to work around some small obstacles and you know, it's not like those are hardships, you know, it's like, I'm grateful that I had a phone at all, but I was sort of limited in the way that I could take advantage of social media at that time. So as I used it, it was primarily just for a tool to try to network, make sales and try to somehow be some sort of freelancer to make a a living on my own. And that was kind of my introduction to social media. And I think as I got my hands on it a little bit more, I think I really started to enjoy marketing and the thought of content creation. You know, I didn't just dive right into it. I wasn't necessarily comfortable or confident with creating content at that time. And it's something that over the years, you start to grow your confidence, your experience, your understanding. And then I think the stars started to align as far as making an income through something like digital marketing. There are so many things that if I were to go back uh, to 2013, let's say 10 years ago and be like, oh, sweet, Instagram's coming out that we would obviously in hindsight, it's like investing in stocks like 10 years after they blow up, like, you know, that you can go back and do these certain things. That being said, there are many people who, even though Instagram's been around for 10 years and TikTok's already been around for five and all these platforms are somewhat mature, are just starting right now. You know, I think of my daughters in the next few years, they'll be getting into it. When someone is looking to start to build a brand online or just get into social media in the first place, if you gave your masterclass kind of curriculum on that, what are some other things that come to mind that you think would help people just starting out? It sounds sort of cliche, but when people consider or even find themselves interested in in being some sort of, you know, maybe public figure type of individual, and they want to use social media to do that, I think it's easy to say like, oh, I wish I was famous or I wish, you know, I had hundreds of thousands of followers. But the reality is there's no 
true gratification from that a lot of the times. You know, if you were to be your most authentic self and not worry about what other people thought and made content for yourself, like something that made you proud and what you, you know, regardless of if anybody ever saw it, you'd be happy with it. That, in my opinion, is the goal to strive for. And I think it's because you can easily distract yourself for a few months or even a couple of years with making content for other people, but eventually you will sort of get burnt out. And that was the lesson that I learned is that I, and I still struggle with this too, you know, but as a marketer, it's hard not to think about what's going to get clicks, what's going to get views, what's going to get shares, what's going to get comments. It's just ingrained into the way that you think about media. And I think that goes for all of us, but especially myself as a marketer, I can't help but think about things in that perspective. But my best advice is create content that you would be happy with if nobody ever saw it. And I don't think people will implement that always and every time, but I think it's something important to keep in the back of your mind because that I think is the key to consistency. If you attach your emotions and your happiness to the results of your video based on its views and shares, you're never going to you know, bat 100%. But if you just make something that you're proud of and that you're happy with, even if nobody saw it, you're still growing and learning from that experience. You know, if you spend hours and hours working on a YouTube video and you feel like you learned through the process, you did research on the topic that the video is about, you put your time and effort and skills and talent into talking about the topic, getting better on camera, getting better at speaking and listening to your own voice, getting better at editing. Well, that's a lot of benefit from a video that nobody saw. And I think if you can live to be happy with that and actually realize that potentially even happier with that than you know, maybe a low effort piece of content that people saw millions of times, I think that's the key to being consistent with content creation because you're managing your expectations in a healthy way. You're creating something that you like and enjoy and learned from. And I think it actually motivates you to continue doing it. Where at, and it's, I mean, it's a, it's a power struggle between these two ideas because you could post a video that didn't take a lot of effort and it could be seen by millions of people and get tens of thousands of comments on it. And it tricks you into thinking that that's what you want. And it tricks you into thinking that once you've done that, that now it can just be rinse and repeat and you can keep doing that. And to some degree, there is some truth in that. You know, once you kind of unveil the little tricks that create viral content, you can somewhat try to implement those things to continue to make it happen. And when that happens, of course, you grow your audience base, you grow your followers. Um, but you kind of skip over the part that I think you learn the most from, which is researching topics and creating a, not necessarily a piece of art, because like some content, some people don't care visually, uh, you know, about the fine details of their content. It's just shoot a video, post it, shoot a video, post it. And some of those creators are some of the most successful. But considering your podcast is all about learning and like personal growth and transformation, I think viewing content creation through a lens of how does this make me a better person? And through that journey of becoming a better person, you learn to be authentic to yourself. And I think the best content creators are people who don't create content to serve the, you know, you want to serve your audience, of course, but if you're doing it at the sacrifice of yourself, it kind of defeats the point. So it's like 
create content that you yourself would watch and love without the approval of everybody else. Instead of trying to create content for the approval of everybody else. And then at the end of the day, you know, before you lay your head on the pillow, you created something that you personally don't even really care about. You just did it for this temporary satisfaction of from social media. And most likely thousands of people that you don't know, you would never meet, never talk to, never hear from again in a lot of cases, you know? So that's probably my best advice. And it's hard advice to follow. You know, it's like, how do you follow the, follow the advice of like, be authentic? It's like, everybody says that, but uh, <laughs> I think you kind of learn it through trial and error and through experience. And if you can keep that in the back of your mind when you start, hopefully the idea is that as you get through the process of creating content, whether it's for yourself, your personal brand, your business, whatever that may be, you would eventually start to pick up and learn that yourself rather than just hearing the advice from somebody else. So that's probably like my best advice to someone who's considering being some sort of content creator, regardless of what the reason is. It comes with a whole lot of wisdom. And the interesting thing I find with wisdom or the ability to have like intuition is a topic that really interests me. It's not necessarily age dependent, like, you know, that chronologically we learn this wisdom, but clearly it's through experience that we do. And so those are very wise answers for sure that would be hard, I think, for people to take some of those steps. And a few of the things that you mentioned that I love sharing are the idea of like the necessary evil. You know, you mentioned that it's like a love-hate relationship. And that's how I feel about socials. If I could just like never post, it's possible that I wouldn't. However, I do feel like, well, maybe one person that watches that video has a better day for it. And I do get those DMs and I have people saying thank you and sending emails how much, you know, they were in a really dark place and one moment of one video impacted it. So then you're like, well, it's not just ego and dopamine. It's like maybe actually having real benefits. So I swing back the other way. And the other thing that I've kind of gone back and forth like a seesaw on is this idea of a Rick Rubin artist, producer. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm not even going to prepare that much. I'm just going to make what I think is the best art and focus on making that. And that's the only thing I'm going to focus on. And on the far other end is like, well, how do you pay the bills? And I've met four youth in the last two days, two yesterday, two today, who I'm kind of just starting helping them with like a career search, right? They're coming out of real mental health crisis and they're looking at like, what do I want to do as high school ends and I become an adult? And in talking with them, it's almost always like they would love to start a podcast, YouTube channel, Instagram page, whatever but they feel or their parents have made them feel or everyone around them has made them feel that's really not an actual job, right? You can't actually make a living. Of course, you and I both know it would be rhetorical for me to ask something like, can you make a living? It's like, yes, you could. However, it's tough. So when people struggle with that idea of like the financial side of things, how do you or I guess what would you say to kind of give them a bit of a, a, a secrets to success hand when it comes to that idea? You kind of have to be like blissfully ignorant in a way, you know, like you almost have to lean into naivety. I think a big part, and I sort of joke about this because, you know, you don't want to have negative self-talk, you know, but I, I don't think I was like the brightest young man in my early twenties, you know, like I made a lot of mistakes and I think my perspective on things were not great. I didn't, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I didn't grow up thinking that I would do any of this, you know, it was never on my radar. And I think because of that, I almost had like a healthy amount of naivety. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And because of that, when people around me maybe thought I was crazy or silly or stupid for pursuing, you know, 
and I don't even want to say like my dream because the reality is I, I didn't know what I was trying to do. All I knew is that I was trying to get away from where I was at currently. Anything in the other direction would have been a success. And it takes a little bit of fumbling and, you know, hitting some speed bumps to figure out what it is that you really want. And I mean, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. But when you're first getting started, you don't have any credibility. There's no reason for anybody to believe you. I think if you step back and just look at the facts, which is up until this point in your life, the people around you know you as who you are. Uh, and even if it's not who you are, they just know you as their idea of who they think you are and what their perspective is of you. So maybe you're funny and maybe you're a little bit reckless or a party person or um, any any characteristic of a, of a human being that you've, you know, collected throughout your childhood and maybe early adulthood. Well, now the people around you see you as that. So when you come out of your bubble and say, I'm going to do something different. You know, maybe I don't want to be a jokester. Maybe I want to be taken seriously. Maybe I want to be a motivational speaker. Maybe I want to be a professional surfboard, you know, surfer, whatever. Well, the reason I think if you can just look at the facts that it's normal for the people around you to push back when you say, well, I'm not this anymore. I've chosen to be something different. Well, of course, they're going to think that you're crazy because not many people ever get the opportunity to do that. You know, they collect baggage throughout their life and carry it with them until they die at the end of their life. And it's just this kind of consistent parallel line that never changes. So when you make a drastic change, a lot of the times it's because you're trying to escape something. And that was the case for me. And going in a very drastic different direction than what everyone around you has always known you for is difficult until you just accept why it's happening. You know, if you can just say, okay, it's pretty reasonable to think that my parents and friends and my, you know, the people closest to me would give me objections to what I would like to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I think if you don't acknowledge that, then instead of, instead of just acknowledging the situation, you start to question yourself. Say, well, why would they think I'm crazy? Or why do they think I can't do it? Or why would they say, well, uh, you know, you can't afford that right now or, you know, maybe this isn't the best decision for you, or have you thought about this? Or do you really think this is a good idea? You know, you tell someone, hey, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about quitting my job and, you know, starting a candle making business or whatever that might be, people are going to think you're crazy. Now that's the emotional side of it, right? The logical or, um, you know, fundamental side as well. How do I start a business without, without any money? To tie this into the content creation thing, I, I've made a video that was, um, I forget the title of it, but basically it was just like three bullet points on um, like myths that you believe about money. And one of them was, it takes money to make money. That just isn't true. It just isn't true. Mm -hmm. It can seem that way because when you think about, like if you took all the you know richest people in the world and look at their commonalities, well, they all have money in things that take money to make money. You know, they invest in businesses, invest in real estate, invest in stocks. Well, yeah, those things take money, but it doesn't take money to build yourself up in a grassroots fashion. And Maybe that is a candle making business. And I don't think that any, if you're fortunate enough to live in America or in the UK, you can't tell me that you can't go to Dollar General, you know, work for a couple of days, sell some of your belongings, make the sacrifice, do whatever you have to do. Sell some sneakers, sell a skateboard, you know, get rid of your stuff that you don't need 
and put it into what you believe in that's going to give you what you do need or what you want in the future. So to get around like financial obstacles, I think if you live in a place where you're fortunate enough to have disposable stuff around you, and sure, maybe you don't have a lot, you know, there's people that definitely still struggle in America for sure. And they're in, you know, not the greatest circumstance, but if you're here in most cases, you got something, you know, sell a pair of Nikes and take that, you know, 50 bucks and put it into something, go to the dollar general and buy what you need to start your candle business or, you know, buy a stack of business cards to start going out and networking with people. It's like, you can't tell me that you can't put together $50 to get started. And I think, I think the excuse of like, oh, well, it costs too much. I think that's just a crappy excuse for procrastination. You know, it's you saying, I'm not confident enough in myself to just get started. Nobody enjoys the beginning and especially nobody enjoys being seen at the beginning. Like it's uh, it hurts your ego to be at new, to be new at something. It hurts your ego to not be good at something. And it's the same thing is like, if you just educate yourself on why do I feel this way? Why do people doubt me? And why am I questioning myself and not, you know, making the small sacrifices to take the first step. And so it's like, you got to kind of just give yourself practical advice and look at the facts, you know, not, a, not how you feel, not what you think it's what's in front of me. And if there were no limitations, what could I actually do? Well, you could ignore your friends and their advice and go with your instinct. You could sell some of your belongings, you know, or the sports equipment that you don't use. If it's a tennis racket laying around or a basketball or, you know, sell it on Facebook marketplace, put together a couple hundred bucks and just do something. Cause the thing is in the beginning, it's not going to work anyway. So if you can just accept like, all right, well this $50 or a hundred dollars isn't going to make me rich overnight, but I do know that it's going to teach me something in the process. It's worth the money. You know, it's more valuable than a basketball or a tennis racket, you know? Yeah. So it's, I think it's just accepting what's logical doesn't mean it's not difficult but it is logical and um yeah it's like think about what are my emotional barriers what are my like real world barriers such as money make a list of them write them down and plan out how do i get around these you know Mm -hmm. and if it's like all right i need to put my blinders on and maybe you know limit or uh distance myself from people close to me not forever but just for a little bit so you can focus on yourself and try to make progress then that's what you got to do. And it's like, if you can just put those steps in front of you, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, a bit long-winded, but that's definitely my advice for sure. Long-winded is one word, thorough is another one. But when you have such thorough answers, it's like it makes 12 other little connection points that we could head down. And I do have a few for sure. But first, just kind of for fun, when you say the idea of take 50 bucks and put it towards something, if you brainstormed just for fun, or maybe you do have some other business model ideas, what would be some things like just to give some context and examples, like what are some things we could think of starting a candle business, I guess is one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, and everybody's different, right? I I do think like a lot of people say, like, chase your passion, you know, I don't know, you know, going back to logic, like, I don't know how logical that is in the beginning. You know, it's like, I've been doing this almost 10 years now. And I could argue that I still don't even know what my passion is. My life could look totally different in 10 years. It's like, who knows? You know, it's like we're evolving as people. So I would say don't get hung up on like finding something you love in the beginning. It sort of is like, let me get out of the rat race a little bit. Let me get on my feet and do something that's going to make me money. And if I had to pick a couple things that I think are like great, simple things that almost anyone could do, it really sort of would be like the Gary V yard sale type of thing, man. 
Um, you know, and I'm 50, 50 on Gary Vee. Like I, I like a lot of the things he says. There's a lot of things he says that I, I don't totally align with, but you know, everybody's got different, different, uh, you know, whatever. But like if I had nothing and I needed to make a hundred dollars today and I only had 20 or 50, I would definitely just go on Facebook marketplace or Craigslist, you know, find a cool little dresser, you know, for, you know, or a little end table for 15 bucks, buy some sandpaper, some stain, maybe some new little hardware. And, you know, in that case, you're spending money to make money, right? But we're going with the uh, example that we've already got, you know, 20 bucks or 30, 40 bucks in our pocket. Go buy some stuff that has some potential, take an hour, sand it down, clean it up, paint it, take pictures, repost it. You know, and it's like, by the time you sell it, maybe you get 80 back. So, you know, you get the 30, 40 you spent, you make another 40 on top and you do it again. And if someone's doubting that that's worth their time, there's a hundred examples on YouTube of people who actually do this without any money at all. Like, I think there's a video of a guy, he starts with a paper clip and he trades all the way up to, um, it's like a Mercedes G wagon or, you know, something crazy. Like it's like, you know, he trades all the way up from a paper clip to like a $300,000 car, but doesn't spend any money in the process. So it's like, if somebody can do that, well, that kind of shatters any belief of like, well, I couldn't do that. Cause it's like, I mean, you can find a paper clip on the ground. Just is somebody willing to do that? And the answer is probably no. I don't even know that I'm willing to do, to do that. It's just, it's an example, you know, it's just an example. But that's probably one of the first things is hit up some yard sales, you know, find some, you know, find something that has potential resellability. And it's like, if you, you know, if you're struggling to pay a phone bill or pay a court fine or something, like that's a great place to start, you know, take 20 bucks, you know, buy some sneakers, clean them up, resell them, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not going to make you mega wealthy, but it is going to teach you some basic concepts of business productivity because you got to sit down and make time to do your work. If it's, you know, resanding a table or something, you got to set aside time throughout your day to do those things, you know, take pictures, post things. You're learning how to, you know, write little product descriptions or, you know, communicate with people, message on Facebook and meet up with people. It's like, you know, you're learning some very basic but important principles of starting to become an entrepreneur it's like you know if it is to be it's up to me you know and it's like that's that's what it comes down to so i always think that that's like the number one simplest place to start is gather up all the stuff you don't need and sell it all because if you can convince yourself you're going to be successful none of that shit matters you can buy all that stuff later you know like you can like i think that people that hold on to something like let's say it's a, a snowboard or like a pair of sneakers all that means is you're not convinced that you're going to do it. It means you're not committed. So like make the decision that you're committed to it and you'll be able to get nicer sneakers than you've ever had, but you might just have to wait a couple of years, you know, and it's like, it's worth it to you. And if it's not, and you'd rather have the temporary, you know, coolness of having the sneakers or the snowboard or whatever, then maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe you're not supposed to be an entrepreneur, you know? Um, Cause it's like, there's much harder decisions you're going to have to make if you want to make a living on your own terms, you know, it's like way harder decisions than selling the things you enjoy owning. You know, it's like set all that aside for a little bit, sell it all. Once you got, you know, a few hundred bucks or whatever you got from selling all the junk that you probably never used anyway, then try something like that, you know, buy some things on Craigslist, Facebook, clean them up, resell them. That's, I mean, that's like one of my best pieces of advice. I love that example because it's, it's simple yet could be effective. And the main reason why I love it this is why the reason I'm so bullish on the concept of entrepreneurship in general 
is one word, actually maybe two words. I'll add a second word, but the one word would be scalability. And I'll say the possibility of scalability because things may not really grow or blow up for someone like if they get into content creation, whether it's a YouTube channel, a podcast or a blog. But if they're enjoying it in the process anyways, and that's not necessarily a problem, they could still have a job or they could still go to college and these sorts of things. But at least during that time, and I face this all the time, whether it's with parents, fellow teachers or youth who are like, well, I need to focus on this first and then I'll do that thing after. And I'm trying to remind them that you're building the ability to have a compounding effect, a network effect over the course of time and exposure that's just worthwhile, even if it took you five minutes a day. It's fascinating because people just can never really, it's very rare that someone will wrap their mind around that and then do it. But I always classify it as a possibility of being able to scale. And that's what I think is just so worthwhile. You know, people talk a lot about side hustle, full career, uh, 50-50 job and entrepreneurship and all these kind of like exit strategies. And I think one of the most important things to me is that I feel like everybody should do something that could scale, uh, which is a big difference to like just collecting a paycheck. Along those lines of entrepreneurship, and you mentioned kind of not being an entrepreneur when you were younger, you mentioned that you got a lot of skills though as you started to get into it. So I guess if we went back a little bit to those younger years, how did you end up becoming an entrepreneur? And when you say the word skills, what are some of the skills that you think make up that entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, great question. So it's sort of funny, but I was working for myself when I was in high school without ever really realizing it exactly or like acknowledging what I was doing, you know, because I just I didn't know anything about business or, or making an income on your own. Like, I don't think I ever spent much time thinking about it. I was never taught anything about entrepreneurship just ever. There was no reason for me to be around that or to, or to learn that. But in high school, I was always interested in art, like anything related to creativity was always interesting to me. You know, I grew up like really interested in tattoos and artwork. I was drawing all the time. You know, I've got books that I was drawing in since I was like a little kid. I just always loved art and coloring and painting and markers and pencils. I just loved all that stuff. As I became a teenager and technology became a little bit more prevalent, I started shifting towards like, like digital type of artwork. So photography and graphic design and kind of the whole Adobe suite of products, you know, Illustrator and Photoshop and Lightroom and things like that. And when I was in high school, the school that I went to offered classes related to these topics. So I took, you know, instead of taking Spanish class or like workshop or, you know, woodworking class, I took um, computer programming, I took graphic design, I took AP art, I took photography. That kind of solidified a direction for my career that I didn't realize at the time. And I never really thought of myself as like a creative or an artist or anything. And I, I still wouldn't call myself an artist. I think I just do work that involves art, you know, whether it's building a website, whether it's, you know, creating video content, whatever that is. And when I was maybe in sophomore year of high school, maybe even earlier than that, but but I love music. You know, I've always loved music. I listen to all types of different music, but especially when I was a teenager, I listened to like a lot of like hardcore music and metal music and stuff like that. 
and I had a lot of friends that were in bands and I myself was in a band. My little brother was in a band. Like all my friends were, you know, guitar players, drummers, you know, everybody played music and we would go to all the local venues and hang out with all our friends and listen to bands that were, you know, in town going on tour and stuff. One of my closest friends at the time was in a band and he knew that I was pretty good with Photoshop and stuff like that. And he had asked me if I would make an album cover for them. And so I did and they liked it. So then they asked me, well, hey, would you make us a T-shirt design? Um, so I did. And then they wanted to come out with a couple more T-shirts and like a jersey and stuff. And I was like, I think I could probably do that. So I did that. And then when MySpace became popular. Yeah, so this is probably like, I don't even know what year, but I mean, I was in high school. Um, they asked me if I could make them a MySpace layout, if you remember that. you know. So I had never done it before, but I was like, all right, cool. Like I could probably figure this out. In a way, it's funny because like I'm still doing those same things today, but just like a more evolved version of that. You know, like we're building pretty top-notch websites for companies and brands. And maybe I'm not designing t-shirts anymore, but we're designing logos for brands and kind of brand identities, color palettes, font pairings, you know, things like that. So it's a lot of the same stuff a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. um, but that was sort of where I got my start. And you know, the people at the time, they'd maybe, you know, pay me a hundred bucks here, 200 bucks there. You know, I wasn't making a ton of money, but when I became like a junior or senior, I was, you know, at the age where it was kind of like, all right, you got to get a normal job. You know, it was just like what was expected of you at that age. And I don't think I ever questioned it. There was never a thought in my mind where I was like, oh, well, I don't want to get a job. I think I could make a living doing this art stuff. Like there was never a single moment where I thought that that was a possibility for me. I would just, there was no reason for me to have a conscious thought that I could do that. To me, it was just like, oh, it's a hobby and I'm making a couple extra bucks here and there and it's fun and it's cool. There really was never a time where I was like, oh, this could be a business. Like this could be my career. Like I could do this for a living. So when it came time to get a job, that's exactly what I did. I just went and got a job. You know, I've worked at all kinds of crappy jobs. I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings. I worked at what, and I mean, these are fine jobs, but I mean, I wasn't good at them. So when I say a crappy job, like I, I did a crappy job working at these places and it's because I would go there, I would show up and I just hated it. Always. I was like, I don't like showing up here. I don't like doing this type of work. The one time I had a job that I sort of liked, I worked in the photo department at Walgreens, you know, so <laughs> it was like kind of related and tying me back to photography and visual content, you know, and imagery and art. And that was like the only job I ever liked, you know, but I worked at carpool, washing cars, I worked at food lines, stocking shelves. Um, you know, I don't even know, but I got, I got fired from all these jobs. And that went on from the time I graduated high school until I was 23. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's what, that's what got me headed in the direction of like digital marketing in a way. Mm -hmm. I, uh, one of my, one of the bunch of things I do is really focus on like career job. Again, I'd say business and entrepreneurship, but not because I'm a big guru or mentor, but because these kids don't have other people in their lives who even have a remotely tiniest idea how to help them. So it ends up by default being my helping them. Um, but one of the things that I love that they're always blown away by, especially again, that caring adults in their life is like them losing a job. And I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. Let's go get the next one because we're trying to work towards, well, what is the one that's going to stick? And people see that failure as like such a negative in the moment. And it can really derail people for long periods of time. I'm like, no, nah, it's good. It just shows you you want more for your life or you want different for your life. 
Uh, and I think that that's such helpful information that we kind of underestimate sometimes. So far in your answers, you mentioned three of the things that I, I jotted down to mention. And I know I shared that I don't overly script interviews, but of course I do my research. I know the people I'm working with and collaborating with on this show. And so I have some themes that I know that people bring expertise and values to. And I want to give you a chance to kind of choose your own adventure. And the three prompts, I suppose, are uh, your grandma and uh, networking and money. And those are three words you've used so far in the 40 minutes of this episode. I'd love to quickly touch on each of them, but I'll ask you with those prompts, I'll still ask the question, but which one do you want to talk about? Man, th that's a tough choice. All right. So my grandmother, money and networking. That's tough. I mean, for, for your audience, I think probably the best place to start would be networking for sure. You know, and that's like a big, you know, it's a big, and like, those are all three really good topics, but it, networking, I think is like, so networking is to me, it's different than what, um, I think most people think of it as. So I think that'd probably be a good, good, maybe rabbit hole to go down. All right. So let's put our emphasis on the idea that in case we run out of time, we need to make sure we tackle a topic. And so yeah. this idea of networking is something that definitely you are an expert in. And I don't know how often you're able to share it on podcasts or speaking or in your content, but the times that I have seen it, it's clear that you know what you're talking about. I hear a lot of people, I, I've had people ask me, can you teach me how to be better at networking? <laughs> it's a hard thing to teach. So in the event that we can try or sort of talk about, you said that it's different than most people think it is. So why don't you just take the floor and share how you think it's different? And if you were to help someone be better at networking, what would be some of those tips? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just talking about this last night, but you know, the best salespeople, the best public speakers, probably the best spouses, like in a romantic partnership, these are not people that are going out of their way to talk about themselves generally, you know, and there's like this common belief that I think is inaccurate when you talk about like a, a great business person, salesperson, networker, that they have like the gift of gab or they have like a silver tongue or something, you know, and I don't know where this came from or like why people believe this doesn't mean it's 100% wrong. You know, anybody with good speaking ability obviously has a strength in communication or, or could have a strength in communication if they chose to. But even if we remove the word networking and you just talk about relationships in general, any kind of relationship, like the more you can listen, the better networker you're going to be. If you can ask great questions and then shut up and then genuinely listen to the other person's answer, you'll be the greatest networker there ever was, you know, because networking is not a necessarily about getting your name out there. Like that is the end result, right? That is what you want. But the act of networking is not that like the act of networking is creating a genuine interest and connection with someone. And the end result then becomes, well, now you're in each other's network because of that connection you created. And I think too often people look at networking as a numbers game, which it is, but you don't always want to have that approach, especially in the beginning, you know, as your network and connections grow, inevitably, it does sort of become a numbers game because it's just not human to be able to have a really solid connection with thousands of people. You know, I think you can make a really solid connection with a hundred or more people. And that's kind of, you know, the people that 
you know, throughout a, a year, you know, you work with, you connect with, you talk to, you talk to them on the phone, you do interviews, you know, like those are your people. But when you get into the multiple hundreds, thousands of people, you'll most likely still have that core group. But then outside of that, you're now changing the way that you communicate. And that's through a podcast or through your YouTube channel. And that is a, that becomes a more effective way of essentially continuing to network. So networking is like this ongoing, evolving, changing thing. And when someone's first starting, I think that the common thought is to think of networking as kind of these like um, B&I type meetings. And like, you know what that is, right? Like a BNI, um, I don't even know what that stands for, but like the, and I think that's what it is, like a BNI meeting, you know, it's like, hey, we all have a business card. There's 40 of us. Let's get in a room and like talk about ourselves and exchange business cards. And a lot of those times, those types of meetings don't result in anything productive. And it's because like everyone is there with the purpose of handing out their business card. So it's like you put 40 people in a room and now don't get me wrong, this isn't every BNI group and this isn't what everybody's there to do, but my, I would be willing to bet like that's probably at least people's approach. You know, I'm sure they're not meaning to do it, but that that's kind of like the misguided approach that you're taught. It's like, well, go to these things, get your name out there, pass your business cards out. It's not like the worst advice in the world, but I, I bet if you did the opposite and you went there and you just picked four people throughout the course of an hour and had a 15 minute conversation with each one and only asked questions. I could almost guarantee you that the end of the conversation would be the other person asking you for their business card, you know? And it's like, that's the result you want. So it's like, would you rather have four genuine connections with four people who reciprocated your interest in them and you made a real connection with them? Or would you rather pass out your business card to 40 people, not really remember anything about any of them in hopes that what they email you and say, let's work together. It's like, what? that's just not real. You know, it's like, and I'm always reminded of this when I looked at my LinkedIn inbox, you know, it's like the one inbox out of all my social media platforms that I don't look at because that's what it is. It's like somebody coming into your link LinkedIn inbox and saying, here's my business card. And I'm like, that's cool. I didn't ask, like, I didn't ask for this, you know? And it's like, sure. I could sift through like thousands of messages and maybe find a handful in there that are probably great connections, but it's like, I can reallocate that time in a more useful way in making connections in the way that's more natural to me um, and finding people that I'm genuinely interested in and want to be connected with or be in my network, you know? And it's like, that's how you and I met. It was like a consistent back and forth, like genuine interest. And now here we are. And it's like that, you know, this took, I don't even, you know, probably what a year, maybe, you know, um, you know, who knows how long it's been, maybe even longer, but um, yeah, you know, it's like, if there wasn't like a genuine interest in staying connected um, I also believe a lot in like your message and the audience that you share with. And like, that's important to me. Therefore, I'm way more invested in keeping in touch with someone like yourself and vice versa, I think, than somebody in some random industry, you know, for, for what, re you know, I, I don't know. But that's sort of my like overall overview of how I think of networking and, and what I think a lot of people do wrong. It, it's not even an action they're doing wrong. I think if people just shifted their perspective on what networking really is, it's just like replace the word network with just like building relationships and think about it that way. You know, it's like, think about it like dating, you know, it's like if, if you went on a date, you wouldn't just like talk about yourself the whole time and then ask the other person to marry you. Like, that's crazy. Some you people know, would. Like, <laughs> <laughs> some people would, you know, it's like, I, I wish there was a study on how that turned out for them because might not be so great, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, kind of a, a strange example, but 
in a way it's similar, you know, it's like a potential partner is going to be way more interested in you. If you're interested in them, everybody's favorite word is their own name. You ever heard that? Like, it's like, what's everybody's favorite word. It's like their name. You know, it's like, if you say something to somebody, you know, you've got a and B, you just say a statement to somebody and then you say it again, but you include their name. Like people are much more interested and you catch their attention and they they listen more attentively, you know, if you include their name and that's because naturally like we're interested in things that involve us. So when you involve people and you care about people and you show an interest in people, it's inevitable you're going to make a better connection with them. Yeah. And you know, that creates the potential of somebody being in your network. So yeah, I think a lot of people would hopefully find that helpful or at least thought provoking. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things for me that's a fear, I suppose, if we're trying to help people at scale is I do a lot of work in both leadership and trust building offline, less so on the internet, but have done a lot of work in that area and research in that area. And it's one of these things where I feel like when we ask ourselves, is this something that's teachable? Uh, the, the ability to learn and have a growth mindset is another good example. Like, can you actually learn as meta as that is how to learn? And my true belief is you can, but sometimes it takes some really good mentorship, coaching, or maybe just some time and more wisdom and more sticking with it until you do. But it can be so hard because a lot of people have shared with me that they've come on this show because they appreciate the style of the dialogue. They're so used to answering the same kind of questions and that I set out to ask more questions and really am focusing on guests, right? And so people have had Oscar uh, movies about them. Uh, people like Brendan Kane wrote 1 million followers, you know, yourself, people with big audiences who really don't have to give me the time of day. Buster Shear was the first episode, you know, and he shared the same thing offline that, well, because it's just like you're up to dope stuff and you're doing a good thing. And like, it's fun to have a conversation and create for a, for a little bit. And that wasn't by design, right? And and so that's just because that's the style and that's the type of stuff that I lock into because that's what I want to do too. I don't want all the kind of BS that could exist around it or trying to get, you know, um, Daniel Matte was on the show and he said, how ridiculous is it to call someone a get when you're creating a talk show or you're a host or something like to put a human being down as like, oh, that's a good get. He's like, how ridiculous is that? And I said, I know, I, I, I agree. But however, you can see why people fall into that trap of wanting to have bigger guests on or those kinds of things. And it's a weird thing because if you just, like you said way a little while ago, like you be authentic, then good things sort of end up happening. Now, I know that your book is about credibility. What is the difference or are those very similar in terms of networking and credibility? Or maybe if credibility was being added on to this topic of networking, what would you add? Yeah, I think credibility is sort of twofold. In the beginning, when you're not known for any sort of specialty, you know, and, and this even connects to our conversation in the beginning about when the people around you are sort of maybe questioning slash challenging you on what you claim you'd like to become. So maybe that's, you know, a great painter, or maybe that's, you know, a, a yoga instructor. It could, I mean, it could be anything, you know, you want to start a yoga practice and you want to open up your own place. And I don't know a lot about yoga, but if you've never done it before and the people around you don't know you as that, well, essentially you lack credibility in that space. You know, it's like your claim is not credible. And so if people aren't doing business with you, well, then you sort of have to be self-reflective and say, okay, maybe I'm not a credible source for this product or service. And there's a lot of other things that can come into play. Maybe, maybe no one even knows about your product or service and it doesn't even matter if you're credible or not because no one sees it. Uh, maybe 
you're a terrible communicator and you interrupt people all the time. Maybe that's it. And your product's great and you have credibility, but you're a terrible communicator. So it could be a lot of other things. But networking and credibility do go hand in hand. And in the beginning, there's such simple things you can do to increase your credibility. I mean, just like some of the most simple ones are like, have a great photograph of yourself, you know, have a professional email address. You know, I, I give out my email sometimes in sort of like random scenarios that aren't business related. And, you know, I've got a couple of different emails, but you know, like my personal like brand email is just info at Mike Metzger. What was it? I was just doing something the other day and this happened and, you know, somebody was like, oh, okay, what's your email? And obviously I don't remember it very well. It was just a random person. I was like, oh, it's just info at myname.com. And they were like, what do you mean? And they started to write down like info at my name. And I was like, no, like my name. I was like, it's info at mikemetzger.com. Cause they had just written it down prior. They wrote down my name and they're like, oh, what's the email? I'm like info at my name. It's the same name, you know, spelled the same way. And that changes somebody's perception. They're like, oh, this guy, it's like, oh, it's not at Gmail. It's like, you know, it's your thing. And it's, you know, that's only applicable in certain situations. And it's a very simple thing, but especially if you're starting from the ground up and your circle isn't a bunch of, you know, public figures that have their own websites and stuff. Well, then it's up to you to sort of be the first one to make that step. And it's like, these are sort of rungs of a ladder that you're climbing up just by shifting the way that you're seen online, really, you know, it is a digital thing. So I'm always looking at where am I, who do I maybe aspire to be? And then what are the simple things that that person is doing that I'm not doing? And that might be something as simple as, well, they've got a website, they've got a professional email address, they got a really solid like headshot, you know, photo. Maybe they have a blog or a newsletter that they write every month. You know, it's like, these are like little things that, I mean, cost, like the cost is very minimal, you know, like a domain name costs 10 bucks, you know, depending on what it is, of course, you know, 10, 15, call it 20 bucks, whatever. Um, a headshot, you know, most people's mobile device, you know, their cell phone could take a great photo if they just took the time to do it, you know. These are really simple things to do. And I, I do talk about a lot of this stuff in the book, you know, and there's there's a lot more that goes into it, you know, even just having a good email signature, taking photos with the people that you aspire to be. You know, most people, you know, spend all this money to go to like events or seminars or workshops and then don't go out of their way to ask the person that they went to go learn from, would you mind taking a photo with me? Or could I take a photo with you? Or do you have a piece of advice? Or would you, would you mind writing me a, you know, a personal note in my book that I bought from you? These are such little things, but it's like, if you want to be associated in different circles, then have the courage to associate yourself. They're not gonna do it for you. And the other thing too, is like people worry so much about what other people think. You know, and it's like, who cares what anyone else thinks if you walk up to, you know, Carrie V, Tony Robbins, you know, whoever, um, walk up to these people, shake their hand and say, hey, like, could I take a selfie with you? You know, like, sure, it's kind of silly, but like, first of all, that person's not, you know, they take pictures with people all the time and everyone else around you is probably wishing that they had the courage to ask. So you kind of have to get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And by associating yourself with different circles, putting together like, a digital debate almost, you know, it's like, well, if, if you had to put up a case for why you're a credible figure, well, what would you go do? You know, it's like, it, like, imagine it's just a game. Imagine it's a game show. And they said, Hey, you know, you got to convince the world that you're a credible figure in blank space. You know, you got 24 hours go. Well, what you do is probably go try to find the experts in that space, go take them out for coffee, maybe take a picture or two, go take a, a, you know, sit down for two hours and watch a YouTube lecture on that topic and say, well, 
by the time this 24 hours is over, I'm going to be able to explain this much better than when it first started. You know, and it really is sort of a game like that. Like credibility really is sort of a game because at the end of the day, like what is an expert? Like it's just sort of like, you know, and, and this is different. And I know there is a difference between, you know, like education and learning. And I know that that's a, a topic that you sort of cover. You know, it's like if you just learn the topic, if you just cut off everything else and just become obsessed with that topic, it's the same thing. You're inevitably going to be more credible in that area. It's just the little stuff that you're missing. Maybe an award here or there, but like, what's an award? Like, you know, it's like we praise awards and trophies. They are nice. I mean, it recognizes um, generally, I think this is getting watered down as time goes on, but you know, generally it awards quality, attention to detail, accomplishment. Um, and these are all good things, you know, but it's like, you don't need awards and badges to be credible. And I think I, strongly believed that in the beginning. And I, I mean, there is part of me that does still see the benefit and the value in that. You know, it's easy for me to say, cause it's like, I'm a verified figure on all these channels. So it's like easy for me to be like, oh yeah, that doesn't matter. I mean, clearly it does, or, or it can, it can matter mm -hmm. um, or not even matter, but it can definitely make a difference in how people perceive you for sure. But you don't necessarily need it. You don't need it to get started. And I mean, there was a time when I didn't have any of that stuff. And these are the things that I did. You know, I'd go to workshops and bite the bullet as far as spending the money that I really didn't have at the time to get in front of different groups of people and try to network with them and just, you know, try to set my ego aside. And as, as much as it may be uncomfortable, try to speak with some of these people and introduce myself and talk to them and ask them the questions that maybe I, you know, was a little bit nervous to ask them. And once you do it a few times, you become way more confident in doing it again. And all of a sudden, not only are you proving to yourself that you're sort of growing as a person, but the thing is then other people notice this, you know, other people notice that. And it's not all that difficult to put yourself out there on social media these days. You know, if you, if you really wanted to be featured on a podcast, there are, you know, there's plenty of small podcasts that, may, you know, maybe they only have 20, 50 listeners, but like you got to start somewhere. And it's like that podcast that only has 10, 20 listeners could be leveraged for you to get on a podcast that has 100 listeners and 100 listeners could be leveraged to get onto a podcast that has 500 listeners. You know, it's and it's like what you talked about earlier, you know, like, you know, getting a guest. But it's like it's not all that terrible to think about, because on the flip side, the people that are the guests on the podcast are doing the same thing. They're trying to work their way up, too. So it's like, you know, you're scratching each other's back. And I think that that's fair. And that is networking. And that is credibility. It's in business. You want to put your best foot forward and present yourself the best that you can. And that's done through how we display our lives and our work. And that could be through social media. That could be through a podcast. That could be through a photograph, you know, um, and just showing, hey, I'm attending this workshop. And slowly, people's perception about you will change. You know, if you're always going to business conferences, eventually, in the course of a year, someone's going to be like, oh, yeah, well, he's like really into business now. Whereas in the beginning, they'd say, well, I don't know if business is for you. Well, it's like, well, if people consistently see you doing that, there's really not an argument to be had after, after you know, six, 12 months of consistently doing that. It's like, well, what are they going to say then? Sure, maybe you didn't make a million bucks in, in your first 12 months, but it's like nobody does. You know, nobody does. And by the time you reach the heights that you're striving for, there's nobody, there's nobody that's going to continue saying, well, like, it, 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 there's no one who's going to continue saying, well, you know, I still don't think you can do it or, or anything. You know, it's like, so the only thing holding yourself back is you. You have to, like, be blissfully ignorant and be naive and believe you can do it more than anything. And eventually you'll wake up one day and be like, oh, well, I don't have any particular skill, 
all I did was just continue doing it. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. there's like this analogy, the person who sharpens the ax before they swing is going to cut down the tree the fastest. Right. But even if you got a dull ax, like eventually you're going to cut the tree down, you know, so you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the most credible. You don't have to have the biggest network and do everything perfectly. You can still cut down a tree with a dull ax. It just might take a little bit longer. So if you can be kind of like pig headed a little bit, then eventually you're going to cut through the tree and you'll get there, you know, and you'll knock it down. And it's like, all right, you can stand there and look back and be like, all right, well, I did this now. So there's no more arguing anymore. Like this is for me and this is what I wanted to do. And it took me a little longer than I had planned on, but I've done it. And the only thing that could have stopped you along the way was listening to everyone else say, well, oh, that's a pretty dull ax you got there. Like, I don't know if that's going to work, you know? And it's like, just keep swinging, you know, keep swinging and eventually you'll knock it down. So I guess we got a little bit off credibility, but, you know, even if you don't have the perfect path to being the ultimate, you know, like credible figure, it still shouldn't deter you. And it's amazing how fast that can happen, the ability to learn and to not become the best in the world. But a very quick example on that that I like to share with people who are stuck in that, like, oh, I'm not good enough or it'll take me too long is like I use any uh, medium to be honest. I posted this once and I put like a, a ruler and the top of the ruler was like Taylor Swift, LeBron James and Oprah at the bottom is like who knows who. But, you know, there's so many people in this world and there's only really in each industry one absolute current goat, right? Okay, Tom Brady, if you were a quarterback. And so within that, we're all just at different levels anyways. So you might as well keep progressing on your individual journey. And there's all these little kind of like mindset tricks that I think, but one of the things that fascinates me and is part of my long-term play when it comes to content creation and trying to help people is this idea of learning quicker. And the more things that I've tried, like right now I'm doing beat making and piano. You mentioned being a musician. I started from just literally zero, nothing, nada. And I started very recently and I'm like, like I already made my first beat, you know, like it's like you can get there relatively quickly into that thing where you can at least be creating and like exponentially know more than a lot of people, you know, and, and I really feel that that's just such an important lesson to kind of hammer home when it comes to that idea of building credibility is to be that true expert like you have with networking. You've probably done the 10,000 hours, the Malcolm Gladwell version of that, but you don't have to, to put yourself in that category of starting to feel comfortable advancing in that area, you know? Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And I mean, the thing is like, it's not 10, it's not 10,000 hours done perfectly. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. the first thousand hours are going to be way worse than the next 9,000. So it's like, It's just, it's progress in general. And I was just talking to my grandfather about this when I was in Florida. He told me about this concept that I really liked and I wrote down and started to do some research on. Um, And it's called the Peter Principle. And basically the book, and it's a book he read when he was young and he was an aero engineer for Pan uh, Pan American Airlines before they uh, went out of business or shut down or whatever. And this book essentially explains that everybody's level of potential is, is different. You know, it's like Elon Musk, his level of potential is no offense to ourselves, but like probably higher than ours, right? And he was a high school dropout. So it's like everybody's potential is different and based on a lot of different circumstances. And what he said, and this is what made me ask him about it, is he said, well, we should all strive for incompetence. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, you should strive to reach your level of incompetence. And I kind of like thought about it for a minute and I was like, okay, well, like, can you explain that? Like, you know, what do you mean? And basically all he's saying is, you know, you should strive to reach a level where you no longer feel comfortable, you know, and uh, another good way to put it would be, 
like, you know, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And if you are, you should strive to get into a new room where you're closer, closer to the bottom of, you know, intelligence or really not intelligence, but competence, you know, competence um, in that room. And you should continue doing that until you really can't anymore. And that's what it means to sort of reach your level of incompetence. And it's the same thing with the 10,000 hours. It's like 10,000 hours might not be for you. You might reach exactly where you wanted to be 2,000 hours in. Or you might get 800 hours in and realize this isn't the right direction for me. You know, so I, I agree with you. You know, there's no level of perfection. It, it's not real. You know, like perfection doesn't exist. And perfection isn't something that I struggle with quite a bit and that I've tried to learn about a lot um, in the past year or so and just try to conquer that myself. But yeah, I really like that. And I thought it was worth sharing. It's a book called The Peter Principle. And it was by, I forget his first name, but it's by like Dr. Something or Other Peter. And he wrote this book and it was originally almost intended as satire. And people loved it a lot and really believed in and still do believe in like that concept and principle. Hmm. Yeah, I really I thought it was I really liked the way that he explained it. And I ordered the book. I haven't read it yet, but I did read a few articles just talking about that principle. And I think it's oddly relevant. I'll check it out, too. We can have an informal book club. Uh, but yeah. I was smiling while you were sharing that story because it was such a wise comment. And I knew early on where it was headed and I hadn't heard it before, but I'm often sharing like, try and be a fool, try and be a clown. I meet so many youth who end up struggling with eating disorders or all these different mental illnesses, addiction. And a lot of times it maps towards p perfectionism in the first place. And at a very young age, being pissed off if they got like a 98 on their math exam. And a lot of time, anytime that I hear someone celebrate getting 10 on 10 on a math test or on anything that's graded, I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, pump the brakes. Like, how do you know where to go now? Or how do you know how much you could have gone beyond that? You don't. You're just stuck. It's such a like flatline thing that that's, you know, really essentially, I think I, I was trying to figure out what is the right number though. And I saw a pretty credible study that said getting seven out of tens. So if you're doing a piano test or you're pushing yourself in the world of fitness or whatever, getting somewhere in the seventies is the ideal number. And isn't that fascinating if we're trying to promote high grades as some kind of metric? And I feel like with all of these topics, uh, of course, we could create a weekly episode. We could talk for six hours. And naturally, we need to wrap, which means, you know, running it back years later is always worthwhile. Uh, one thing, though, you, and you just mentioned your grandfather, I'm not sure if it's on the same side of the family, but I had mentioned those three topics, networking, money and grandma, and two of them are kind of like generic, obviously. And one is very specific to you. And uh, in my research, I happened to stumble upon the eulogy that you created. And if nothing else, I just wanted to share that I was really appreciative of that because, well, the painting behind me, my dad made, and he put my brother's ashes in it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special. And you asked earlier about the podcast and how long it's been since you and I have been talking. And I think that's probably three years because I started the show um, September 11th, two and a half years ago, aired the first episode with Buster Shear. That night, my brother died in a car accident. Wow. And then I just didn't, like the podcast was like a meh, it was like a thing I was adding on, right? And then the next New Year's as a resolution, I was like, oh, I'm going to create more podcast content. Kind of did that off and on for another year. Then my second brother died last December of a heart attack. Wow. So a week later, New Year's resolutions happen again. And uh, it just really hit me. And this goes back to our very, very first topic of art versus, you know, having a plan with our content and strategy versus just creating. And I realized that doing this show, even if nobody listens, 
is what I want to do. And between now and when I die, I just want to get as many episodes in as I can with great people and just create. And whatever else happens, happens. I don't care. At the time, I was thinking too much about the kind of BS around the show and using the show as something else. But now it's like completely flipped. And so this last year has just been amazing. It's just grown like crazy and go figure, right? But anyways- Grief is something that connects every single one of us. And so when I was doing my research, yeah, we could talk about affiliate marketing. We could talk about brand deals. We could talk about so many things. I think that brings value. But the fact that I found that post really was something that was pretty special because I don't think a lot of people would create that. You know, I did eulogies at both of my brother's funeral. I'm sure it wasn't easy for you to write about that. And you don't even need to talk about it at all. But I at least wanted to give you your flowers in that way for creating it because it was well written. It was beautiful, but mostly posting it because it showed vulnerability, which is a big part of this show too. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through, you know, a terrible experience like that. You know, I've I haven't quite experienced that exactly, but I do have people in my life that are very close to me that had very similar things happen to them. And you know, my my mother lost her brother in a motorcycle accident just a few years ago, and um, my grandmother that is in that eulogy that you mentioned. So I, I gave her eulogy at her funeral. And just about a week ago, I just got home from Florida. Just about a week ago, my grandmother on the other side passed away. And I just was down there and I was also asked to give her eulogy. So here in the next couple of weeks, you'll see me do that again. I'll do another article for my other grandmother. Um, But yeah, you know, I mean, vulnerability is, it's what makes us human. And I think people try to push away from it thinking that, thinking that there's some sort of success to be found in that, you know, especially with content creators, you know, you can, and I'm a marketer too. So like, I look at things through a little bit of a different lens than, you know, just maybe somebody just sitting around watching YouTube and I love YouTube. So it's not a knock on YouTube, but you know, when you look at content, you can tell when you're watching someone who's creating content authentically and vulnerably and for themselves in a way because they love doing it. And you can tell who isn't, you know, it's pretty, I think sub, the average person may not notice it exactly, but I think subconsciously we do. And I think that's why some people create content and they don't understand why people aren't watching it is because it's an unsaid thing. And you could argue, it's like, well, you're not showing that you're a human. You know, you're sort of putting on a fake voice and putting on fake mannerisms and creating what you think everybody wants to see. The funny thing is if you just drop that, more people would like it. And uh, it's it's funny how that how that works, but um, yeah, I appreciate the kind words, and, and that means a lot. So thank you. Of course, and rest in peace to all the aforementioned. And you know, I I, I think a lot of people use the word legacy, and it's like maybe a buzzword that has so many different meanings. That again, that could be an hour long episode. However, uh, you mentioned earlier about the idea of creating for ourselves, and even if zero people watch it, that's fine. The way that I've always thought about content creation is that heaven forbid I'm gone too. And that's not like a stretch. You know, you brought up Gary Vee. He often talks about his worst day being if he got a call that his brother or his sister had died and that's actually a bad day. All the other bullshit doesn't matter. I'm same as you. I'm 50-50 because I could argue the other way about that stuff. But in any case, the point being, 
those days have actually happened on a couple occasions for me. And I'm like, well, then why is it any different that it couldn't happen to me tonight too? And so having two young daughters, it's easy for me to look at a camera and create a piece of content because I'm like, well, if they're missing dad and they're searching for it, then maybe they can see this video themselves. And so if that helps other people in the world right now during, that's amazing too, you know, but I picture them going through this catalog of podcast episodes and learning from someone like you and appreciating it and hearing this show. Um, It's kind of like a dark (laughs) way of approaching it, but to me, it's freeing as well. So I just think that's an important topic and I appreciate you making that post because the conversation wouldn't start otherwise. Um, I love to create the mic drop moments and somewhere somewhat natural, uh, do the themed rapid questions like a lot of podcasters do because I just love tying together what all the guests say. So it'd probably be a great moment now. And if you feel there's like thousands of things we left out, then let's definitely do episode 250 or something like that. You can be on. The first one is always, if you were to leave one piece of advice for the next generation, this is great that we just talked about legacy. What would you leave? Really good question. And it's a simple answer. Learn, organization, and productivity. And it's because it impacts yourself. It impacts everybody around you. You know, it's like when you're organized, life is easier and it reduces stress. It makes your work easier. It makes your life easier. It makes it easier for you to move forward, love the people around you, like learn organization. It's a skill. I think people overlook being organized and being productive. And it's like, take a week and type in how to be organized, how to be productive and learn a little bit and your life will become drastically better. I, uh, another time to smile because I have a few themes jotted down and we're going to do episode 250 and talk about this clearly because the other thing I had written down was productivity and managing focus. (laughs) So this is the cliffhanger. (laughs) Yeah, it's like two of my favorite things. So we'll definitely have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good cliffhanger. Everyone will have to, to circle back and they already know the topic. For sure. Something that you yourself right now are learning and it could be off topic from all of these things. Yeah, I think... Two things, um, you know, I mentioned this like perfectionism thing and it's, I mean, it's such a massive like topic in my life because I, I never recognized how much it affected me until this past year or so. And it's such a double-edged sword because anybody who has a personal experience with perfectionism knows that at the same time that it helps you do everything you've ever done, it's also holding you back. So it's such a difficult um, issue to figure out what to do about it. Because it's like, well, part of this is such a good thing. And part of this is such a terrible thing. And it's like, what's the solution? And my solution has been to just try to learn more about it, you know, and and that's a common theme with everything. You know, I think if people acknowledge their weaknesses and the issues in their own life, and then just dedicated time to learn about those issues, whether or not they ever find a solution, you know, it's just become more educated on the topic so that you understand the challenge better. And even at the very least, you'll just feel better about it. So um, perfectionism is like, I consider it like a project, you know, it's like, I'm reading books about it, watching lectures about it, thinking about it, journaling about it, writing about it. And uh, it's been a huge help, you know, and I haven't conquered it completely. I don't know if I ever will, you know, it's part of like my DNA at this point. Um, And it does, it helps me in a lot of ways, but it holds me back in a lot of ways. And so my, my kind of project for the second half of last year was dedicating to like, tackling that corner of my life and figuring out what are the good things I want to keep? What are the, what are the bad habits and, you know, things that I want to get rid of and, and learn to, you know, tackle. So like, yeah, perfectionism in general, again, could be a whole nother podcast interview. And, you know, I don't know that I'm an expert on that topic quite yet, but uh, it's something I've learned a lot about. And that's been like a huge personal project of mine. 
It's such an individual journey too, that it's like any of these philosophical topics, it can be hard to kind of be that expert that helps others because it's like digging into yourself. Like I always think that had I not been a perfectionist in that sort of definition in college football, that I would have played professionally. You know, I was like that Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, like smaller dude who could play ball, but I was focused on like doing my warm up so well for a workout as opposed to like just being like, oh, I just need to get open. And wrapping so much time and energy. And then that led into it taking so long to put out the first podcast episode and blah, blah, blah. But I definitely hear you. We have a lot in common that way too. And the fact you're thinking about it certainly is the step, I guess. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I always flip the table like other podcasters do, or some do. If I were to have you take the interview mic and just ask me a question that you think my answering could be a piece of content that helps my audience or just something you're curious about on these topics, what would you ask me? Yeah, I love it. And great question. I think, like when I think about podcasting, it's so hard to imagine myself being the host of a podcast. You know, it's like people mention this to me all the time, like, you should, you should start a podcast, you should start a podcast. And when I think about the different types of podcasts, there's like somebody who's an individual on a podcast just by themselves. I find that very, I would find that very difficult. I think that would be a very hard thing to do. I also don't know how rewarding it would be, but I've never done it. So I don't know. So my question for you would be, um, how did you choose like what you wanted to do with your podcast? the style of your podcast and, you know, the choice to interview other people and sort of the direction of topics, you know, like how did you decide on that and say, okay, this is kind of the direction that I want to take my podcast. Yeah. The answer to the question in like a very simple way is it was what I knew in the world of podcasting because I was listening to Rich Roll, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan. That's who I knew. And that's kind of where I came up listening to the medium and being a consumer of podcasts that naturally it made sense. And I would put Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn in there too. So those four, oh, actually I'm leaving out what the very first one was. I always forget the name. Oh, The Art of Manliness. And that grew into a massive brand. Like that was the first one that I started listening to uh, as a podcast. And in all those cases, it was exactly this style, multiple hours, long form content interviews. And so even by definition, if somebody asked me what a podcast was at that time, that's probably how I would describe it to an alien or something like, oh, it's somebody sits down and interviews someone for an hour and a half. It's like Oprah or Ellen, but it's a lot longer. And there's no like ads that are like being fueled by uh, Procter and Gamble or something behind it. And so that was naturally where I started. The interesting thing is that in that journey, I learned the other medium exists as well. And you mentioned earlier the idea of social proof. This is something that I guess I could be considered bad out, bad at, although I do have the willingness to be scared and vulnerable and still put myself out there to meet people. But I've met met like Mark Manson, who wrote Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, Jim Quick, who has a big learning brand, obviously, Um, David Meltzer, John Lee Dumas, a lot of people who have big, you know, content creation brands and um, authors, speakers, whatever. In all those cases, I was able to talk with them, get a lot of their, you know, wisdom and have fun conversations, but I didn't take pictures. (laughs) And what's funny is in three out of those four conversations, they shared the idea of like, why don't you create solo episodes? And I was like, no, not happening because I'm here for the guest. I'm here for the guest. I'm here for the guest. And then it was this past October where I was chatting with John Lee Dumas and he was like, I already said 
start creating solo episodes. And so I was like, but what would they, so I asked a few more follow-up questions. And so I have been doing it. So now I kind of know what it feels like to do both. And um, I think her name is Rachel Cook. If you are thinking about doing this, when I listened to her podcast, and Russell Brunson has a, a good one too, obviously, where it's like solo, fairly short, but it hits home about the topics and helps people. I saw those examples and I was like, oh yeah, these could be seen more like a, an audiobook almost. It's almost like you're reading traffic experts, but through Audible. And if you took your book and split it up into... 36 episodes, you publish them, you'd never have to publish them again. It doesn't need to be something that lasts 20 years. You could make another show that's whatever and different things. So my fear was uh, confusing the audience, even if it was tiny at the time and being like, well, no, this is an interview show. I interview amazing guests. You know, who am I to start talking? And he was like, don't worry about that. Doing both is going to be better for your whole brand and for your show. And sure enough, two or three of the most downloaded episodes are solo episodes where I talk about ideas around learning or a growth mindset for just, you know, five, 10 minutes, chasing your big dreams, goal setting, the things that a lot of people don't really care about, the fluffy stuff. But for the people who do, they really find it helpful. And so anyways, how I thought about it was I didn't. (laughs) I took definitely imperfect action and just started. And over time, though, I've grown to learn more about if somebody were starting. And if you have more questions, just hit me up because I have uh, found better ways of helping people with figuring it out for themselves now that I wish (laughs) I had help when I started. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing. I don't, you know, I don't know that I've ever spent a ton of time really thinking about it, like considering it. It's just something that comes up from time to time. But even just you sharing those couple of things actually gives me some ideas. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's a good, I'm like, all right, that's a good idea. Maybe, maybe I should sit down one day and actually think about potentially doing something like that. So that, that would be cool. Well, the reason I said your book was because it exists. So now all you have to do is read it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. So, but the problem with that is if it's being sold as an audible book and there's different things that go into that, but you find a way to package it in X number of episodes. Sure. Like I said, until I think her thing's the diary of a CEO. And it's like, if anyone ever is thinking about starting like a client service based business, that's a credible trusted person where I'm like, well, just go listen to this girl's 40 episodes. And I think we could have more of those, you know, if somebody was lost in life right now and wanted goal setting help. Yeah. I wouldn't send them to mine. I'd say, go listen to Mel Robbins, reinvent yourself. It's like 15 episodes or something uh, step by step on how to reinvent your life. And uh, I I think that medium is uh, way easier than setting up interviews. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's super helpful advice, you know, not only to myself, but I'm sure any, you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast. Yeah. The last question is always, uh, where could people find you if they want to support your work online? Yeah, I appreciate it. So pretty simple. For the most part, you can just look up my name and, you know, find the platform of your choice. I'm super fortunate that my name is spelled a little bit differently. So it's Mike, but it's M-Y-K-E. And my last name is Metzger, M-E-T-Z-G-E-R. So if you search that up, you you can find me on YouTube or anything like that. I would say a big part of my focus this year is on YouTube. So if you wanted to support my work, I would say find me there. And I've been putting hours into planning out um, upcoming topics for YouTube content, you know, and it's not mega, mega long form, but I mean, videos that are, you know, five to 25 minutes. And, you know, for example, the video that I'm putting out next week is all about how I read books and kind of download information to my brain in a way that I can remember it, you know, and it, it talks a little bit about some of the things we didn't touch on today, which is productivity and stuff like that. And, you know, if you read a book, how can you actually implement and 
acknowledge and remember this information that you read and not just forget about it. Like, you know, we all are victims of that, but I'm going to be putting a lot of effort into YouTube this year. So if anybody, you know, enjoys watching content like that, I would say you could support me there. The only thing that I haven't mentioned that was jotted down that we didn't touch on was YouTube goals question mark, because I could see that you were starting to build energy and momentum in the area of YouTube. So I look forward to seeing the upcoming uploads and uh, we'll definitely run it back. You said earlier, the idea of all of this is like climbing up a ladder and stepping up the rungs of a ladder. A lot of people kick that ladder down behind them or pull it up and don't let others climb up. So I appreciate how much you're willing to help others who are coming behind you climb up that ladder. An example of that is hopping on this show, taking the time to do it. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, really loved our conversation. So thanks. End scene. Awesome. That was cool, man. JKL listeners, thank you so much for being here. I believe greatly in having the courage to speak our own goals out into the universe. And so one of my personal challenging goals is to help millions of people achieve their own dreams through this show. So please do continue to pass it along. I can't say how much that means to me. Thank you also to our guest, Mike. He is so good at content creation and brand building that it's awesome how humble he stays and how kind he is when it comes to collaboration. Please do go check out and support his work. And as always, I love getting your DMs or comments and voice notes about the show. If you have any input on guests or topics, please don't be shy. Just let us know. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.